calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. You are listening to Episode 8 of Half Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 14, Dunsany Road System, 2352, April 3. We had about two stands before Francis came back for the afternoon watch, so we had to work fast to iron out some kind of strategy. Brill and I thrashed through the materials for about 20 ticks while Diane stood at her station. You've done remarkably well, Esh, Brill told me, but you really don't have the math for this yet, do you? I shook my head. No, I, I don't. I recognize it when I see it, but I'd be lying if I said I understood it. Okay, she said. Plan B. Would you be happy with spec 2? Well, I'd be happy with spec 3. The lowest rate's three spec 3s, and she deserves three. Ish, do you know you talk about the ship like she's a person? Yeah, I said I know. Okay, just as long as you're aware of it, she said with a grin. She glanced at the chrono. Okay, we need to either get a plan or wait until he has the watch and go form a plan. She headed out into the section and nodded for me to follow. Diane! Diane stuck her head out from behind the number two scrubber. Here, checking the matrix we put in last week. We need a plan, or at least a plan for a plan. Diane slammed the scrubber's case closed and came over to us. I'm in. Simple is better, Brill said. First question. Can we pretend we don't know he did it? I probably can, I said. I don't know if I can or not, Diane said. It's not so much the bookmark as that he was riding ish. That ain't right. Okay, Brill said. We take the short and brutal approach. Diane, you'll only need to keep it together long enough for a quick gotcha. We'll be done with him by noon. Can you do that? Diane started to smile. Depends on what you have in mind, but yeah, I think I can. Okay, Brill said. Here's what we do. Francis was prompt. But when he walked through the hatch to environmental, he was met with a sad tableau. Very well, Mr. Huang. Since you cannot be trusted, I accept your resignation effective immediately, Brill said authoritatively. Thank you, Chief, I said. I can't allow my feelings for Ms. Ardell to endanger the ship any longer. Diane's face crumpled up, and she turned away so we wouldn't see her tears. Frankly, I suspected it was so we wouldn't see her laughter. Hi, said Francis uncertainly. What's going on? Ah, Francis, good, you're here. Brill turned to him. I understand we owe you some thanks for uncovering Mr. Duong's weakness for Diane. What? he asked. Last night, Francis, I said to him, you were right. I was so distracted by Diane, I didn't even know what chapter I'd bookmarked in my tablet. It's true. Whenever I'm around her, I just can't think of anything else. I hung my head in shame, and so he wouldn't see me grinning. But, he began. 
Ishmael's explained the situation, Francis. Thank you for being so diligent in spotting the problem. The safety of the ship is, of course, our first concern. We'll be putting him ashore in Dunsany, and in the meantime, he's going back to the galley where he can't do any damage. But, he tried again. That leaves us short one watch, Stander. I've spoken to Mr. Kelly, and he's going to let us have one of his other enginemen, but we can't have him before we get to Dunsany, so you're going to have to cover his watches until then. Brill was a bulldozer. She just kept pushing him and pushing him and pushing him. But, he tried a third time. I'm sorry, Diane, I broke in. I never meant to hurt you. I had no idea what I was saying. I just needed to keep him off balance for a little bit longer. Mr. Huang, I think we've had about enough of you, Brill said coldly. You're dismissed. I headed for the hatch, and I could see Francis's face out of the corner of my eye. He was just about primed. Wait, he said. There she blows, I thought. Yes, Francis, you have something to add to the conversation? Brill asked. Is this about the bookmark on his tablet? he asked. Why, yes, she said, it is. And you think he's incompetent because he was so distracted by Diane that he doesn't know what he's doing? Francis asked. I believe that's a fair assessment, Brill agreed. You yourself brought it to his attention last night, I believe. At least he had sufficient integrity to bring it to me this morning. But I was teasing him, Francis objected. I didn't mean anything by it. Oh, yes, we know, Francis, Brill answered. But the fact remains is that he can't control himself enough to know what bookmark he's setting on something as simple as his tablet. How can we trust him with the lives aboard the ship, who trust us to care for them? The fact remains that he did not know he set his tablet for Spec 1, and even after six weeks has been so distracted by Diane that he didn't even realize it until you brought it to his attention last night. Oh, she was good. She was very good. But Francis said he didn't set it to the wrong chapter. Oh? Brill asked archly. Then how do you explain this? She held up my tablet to the page that Francis had last seen me reading. This is certainly Spec 1 material. He didn't make the mistake in setting it, Francis said. I don't follow, Francis. What are you saying? Brill asked. He didn't make the mistake in setting it. I set it to spec one that day we pulled out of St. Cloud. I never dreamed he wouldn't spot it, he said miserably. So this whole fiasco is your doing? Brill asked incredulously. Francis nodded, and I recognized the can-I-just-melt-into-the-deck-now expression on his face. It had been on mine not so long ago. Mr. Huang... She called to me. Do you have anything to say to Mr. Gardner on this matter? Yes, Chief, I do, I replied. Francis turned to me with a pained and stricken look on his face. Gotcha, I said. There were about four solid heartbeats of frozen disbelief in Francis's face before he turned to find Brill and Diane grinning at him. Gotcha, they both said. But, he began. I walked over to him. It's okay, Francis. I know, or I think I know, what happened. I nodded at Diane. You saw her snitch my tablet and jigger the bookmark, right? Yeah, he said. Then you thought you'd up the ante by boosting it to spec one, I asked. Yeah, he said. I never expected you wouldn't spot it, but then watch after watch you came in with it. I've never seen anybody wrestle so hard, he said, with something like admiration. When you went off to the next section and started your own watches, I never got a good opportunity to tell you. To be honest, I didn't think you'd still be working on the wrong lesson until you mentioned it last night. I couldn't believe how much of it you've gotten through. And Diane, I asked. It was too perfect. I couldn't resist. When it comes to good-looking women, you're easy to tease-ish. He looked at all of us then and said, I'm sorry, really. I looked at the two women then and raised my eyebrows. That good enough for the two of you? I asked. Brill nodded. Yeah, it's good enough for me. Diane? There was something in Diane's stance, and I thought for a couple of heartbeats she was going to deck him, but she said, yeah, good enough. All right, well, then I guess it's good enough for me. I held up my hand to Francis. 
He looked at my hand and then looked me in the eyes, and then he shook my hand. You're a good man, Ish, he said softly. I'm an idiot, but it comes naturally to me. I don't need to use brilliant women like these two as an excuse. I'm numb enough on my own, I told him with a grin. Good. Now, anyone ready for lunch? I think Cookie's doing lamb with garlic. Diane said, all ops normal, Mr. Gartner. No maintenance scheduled or performed. You have the watch. Francis said, Ms. Ardell, I relieve you. I have the watch. Kneezies. Diane huffed as she brushed past him, heading for the hatch. I'll catch up with you in a few-ish, Brill said. I've got some loose ends to finish up. I waved and followed Diane out. I almost felt sorry for Francis. Diane was waiting at the ladder. You think she's going to ream him out, she asked. I shrugged. She didn't say much to you, I pointed out. The infraction isn't worth a reaming. If he just left you out of it, I probably wouldn't have thought twice about it. It's not like I wasn't disoriented enough by making the changeover to watchstander and environmental. That I could accept because I could put it behind me. She just smiled and said, Okay, let's get some lunch. And as she turned away, she asked, Did you mean what you said about two brilliant women in there? I chuckled, Well, yeah, of course. You couldn't have said beautiful women, she complained. Well, that part's obvious, I explained. She stopped ahead of me on the ladder and looked back. Really? You think I'm pretty as Brill? Honestly, I think you're both amazing in so many levels that being gorgeous doesn't even compete with the rest. Damn, you're good, she said. Do you think that stuff up on the fly? No, I laughed. I have a team of writers who think it up for me. Do you think you could move it? I'm getting hungry. She laughed, too, and continued up the ladder. And Diane? I said. She looked back. Don't be too mad at him. He didn't mean any harm. She gave a little, I hear you, but I'm not sure what I think about it yet, shrug, and scampered on up the ladder. We found a table and saved a seat for Brill. Cookie had indeed done lamb with some green beans and potatoes. The rich meat was delicately seasoned with salt pepper and a trace of garlic. It was perfectly delightful, and I was starving. Brill showed up about ten ticks later and took the seat we'd saved for her. I gotta give you credit, Ish, she said as she sat. The section's been plenty lively since you joined us. I blushed. I'm sorry, I said. I really only want to do a good job. She grinned and winked at Diane. It's okay. We were getting into a rut. This has bounced us out of it pretty well. Now, about that exam. She pulled out her tablet and pulled up a quiz and started asking me questions while we ate. Diane offered encouragement in the beginning, but the further we went, the more she just sat and watched, looking back and forth from me to Brill and back again like some kind of tennis match. Finally, Brill came to the end and grinned. Seventy-eight she said triumphantly. Yeah, but what test, I asked her. Spec 2, she said. But I haven't studied Spec 2, I protested. She waggled her eyebrows at me. Think of how well you'll do once you have, she said. Diane said that was amazing. Okay, Ash Brill said. You're on midwatch tonight, and then you've got afternoon watch tomorrow, right? I was so in the groove, as Ron had called it, that I just nodded. I didn't even need to look anymore. Hit the tablet on Spec 2 tonight. Pay attention to the section on water purification and distillation. Those were the questions you did the worst on. I'll work with you tomorrow afternoon and we'll see where we are. Her tablet bipped at her and she waved. Okay, time to get back to work for me. Diane and I were off duty, so we sat there for a while. You were amazing, she said. I shrugged. I picked up more than I thought, I told her. You decided not to go for spec one? I thought Brill said she thought you could pass. She was being optimistic. I was wading through the material, but I really didn't have the math background to understand a lot of that science. I picked up pieces out of context, but that's one of the reasons I was upset. I've been studying for over a month, and I just couldn't get it. She nodded at that. You seem to have picked up enough, though. Well, maybe, I shrugged. She looked at me with a raised eyebrow. Okay, I grinned. Yes, I seem to have picked up a lot. The theory and background I could follow in the lessons, it's, it was when they got to the explanatory math and science that I got lost.
Well, you got a month of watches to get it together. You almost pass it already, she grinned. You're going to outrate me soon. We split up then, and I stuck my head in the galley to speak with Pip and Sarah. Would you guys have a few ticks around 1400 to get together and deck birthing, I asked. Yep, Pip said. Is this about your little project? Yeah, I need to line up one more player, but if you two can be there, I think we can get a jump on Dunsany. I'll be there, Sarah said with a smile. I waved and went off in search of Sean. When Pip and Sarah got to the birthing area, they found Sean and I waiting at the table. I'd given Sean a little warning about moving slowly around Sarah until she got used to him, and he was good with her, actually. Okay, Ish, Pip said. You're driving me crazy with this plan. What is it? We got a lot of yarn, I said. Yeah, I know that much. Sean's eyes got bigger. How much is a lot? Twenty kilos, Pip said. Sweet mother of mohair, Sean exclaimed. A hundred skeins? Yep, I said. We took your advice back in St. Cloud and picked them up pretty cheap. I nodded in the direction of Pip's locker. Would you care to do the honors, I asked him. He palmed the lock on his locker and opened it up, showing the skeins stacked in there. I thought Sean looked like a kid in a candy shop at that. Now the other one, I suggested. So Pip opened the other locker as well. Sarah said, that looks like a lot of yarn. We laughed. Yeah, Pip said, you should have seen me trying to find enough room to stow it. I thought I was going to have to beg pantry space from Cookie. I reached in, pulled out a couple of the skeins, and put them on the table in front of Sean. Okay, Spider-Man, what kind of webs can you spin out of this? He fingered the threads on one of the skeins. Are they all the same weight, he asked idly as he examined it. Yep, Pip said. Only thing different is the color. He looked up. This is a nice utility weight yarn. We could make almost anything out of it except maybe baby clothes. What'd you have in mind, Ish? Well, I know you're making afghans from yours, I told him. How's that going? Pretty well, actually. I've almost finished my third one. I've had enough practice that I can do one a week now. I should have four to sell when we get to Dunsany, maybe five. Can we see a finished one? Pip asked. Sean went to his bunk and pulled down a brightly colored blanket and spread it on the table. Sarah ran her hands across it. Oh, this is lovely. My aunt used to do this kind of work when I was a girl, she said. Even Pip seemed impressed. How much yarn did this take? Four skeins for this one, he said. How much will you ask for it, I asked him. I'll ask two hundred, but I'll take one and a quarter, he said. Pip looked at him. You think you'll get it? He nodded. Oh, yeah. Look around the flea market next time. You'll see a whole bunch of this kind of needlework, some of it in a three hundred to five hundred cred price range, depending on the size, pattern, and workmanship, he said. Pip looked at me then and said, Okay-ish, I'm hooked. Tell me the punchline. We have the yarn, and I have to confess, I don't think the yarn is going to sell on Dunsany, I said. We'll move a few of them, but it's a textiles planet. They already have cotton and linen. It's not a terribly cold planet, so the extra warmth of the wool isn't going to carry a lot of benefit. But we're taking containers worth of wool, Pip said. Yeah, I said, to be turned into wool cloth and probably shipped off planet with the rest of the textile exports. True, he said. Keep going. Well, if we turn the yarn into something that will sell, and with a higher price point than the raw yarn, then we have an opportunity to take hundred credits worth of yarn and turn it into a kilocred, at least. Sean spoke up then. What are you thinking of making? Afghans take a lot of time and yarn. Shawls, I told him. Pip looked confused, Sarah looked thoughtful, and Sean started grinning. I asked Sean, Do you have a pattern for an open-weave triangular shawl? He scrambled up from the table and headed for his locker. While he was rummaging in it, Pip said, Shawl? It's a kind of wrap that women wear around their shoulders, like a cape, I told him. I know what a shawl is, he said. You're thinking of making shawls? I shook my head. Not me. Them. 
I pointed to Sean and Sarah. Sean said, Got it! and brought back a picture of a woman wearing exactly the kind of shawl I had in mind with a loose open weave. Perfect, I told him. How much yarn to make one of these? He consulted the text printed on the back. 300 grams in rough numbers. He picked up the skein from the table and checked the tag on it. This kind of yarn, too. Medium weight worsted. He looked up. It's the most commonly used weight yarn, so you picked well. So, a skein and a half per shawl, I asked. Roughly, he said. Depends on how the pattern goes. Certainly two skeins will do it with a lot left over. How much do you think it would make on the table, I asked him. Depends on a lot, but anything from 50 to 100 creds. Pip sat up at that. Two creds worth of yarn becomes 50? Well, two creds worth of yarn in about 10 stands of labor, but yeah, Sean said. You got this yarn for a cred a skein? Pip said, yep, sure did. You caught him on a good day. Double skeins of this quality are usually five. I paid three for mine. So basically a day's labor, two skeins of yarn, and we get 50 creds. I refocused the conversation. At least, Sean said. Okay, what we need then is a way to make these. I tapped a picture on the table. Can you teach Sarah how to do it and loan her a hook until we get to Dunsany and we can get one for her? Sean looked at Sarah. What do you think, Sarah? You want to learn to tie little tiny knots? She looked at me and then at Sean and then at the picture on the table. She nodded with a kind of hopeful puppy expression. Do you think I could? she asked. Sean wrinkled his nose. Easy. I'll have you crocheting in ten ticks. I bet you could have one of those done by day after tomorrow. Pip said, okay, wait, wait. Deal with the money. What kind of arrangement are we talking about? If we got five creds a skein, we'd be laughing, right? I asked him. Oh, yeah. I'd be really happy with a 500% margin. Okay. And the shawls should go for 50 creds? I asked Sean. Easily. I was getting five for my lace doilies. Okay. So two skeins at five is 10 creds per shawl. You two make the shawls. When they sell, you owe us 10 creds. You pay the booth fees, and you keep whatever you make over that. You keep the leftover yarn for whatever project you want. Meanwhile, we'll hold the yarn in our mass allotment, which means the shawls don't get added to yours. Eventually, we'll have to clear the mass of the leftover yarn, but we can deal with that if this works out the way I think it might. We've got enough yarn for 60-something shawls. That should gross something around 3,300 creds. Pip and I will get almost 500. Whoever makes the shawls gets about 2,800, and the co-op gets the fees, assuming we use all the yarn as shawls and sell them. Pip just blinked at me. You are good, he said at last. We're only like ten days out of Dunsany, Sean said. We can't make sixty shawls in ten days. We're forty-nine days out of Betris on the other side, I said. How many days do you need? What if we sell the yarn in Dunsany, Pip asked. Can I buy some of your yarn for my own projects, Sarah asked. I want to finish my afghans, Sean said. It took most of a stand, but we ironed out the loose ends and agreed that we'd try to sell the yarn but set aside ten skeins for Sarah and Sean to work with to teach Sarah how to make the shawls. That still left us ninety skeins to try to sell. We'd know better once we got a feel for how well the yarn itself sold. It would be a chance for us to test the idea out. Sarah had time to make a few shawls to offer at the co-op in Dunsany Roads, and I suspected Sean might have a couple of his own there, too. Just then Tabitha walked into the birthing area and saw the picture of the shawl. Ooh, that's beautiful. Sean, are you making those? Not yet, he admitted, but I'm going to teach Sarah how. Do you want to learn, too? She got a funny look on her face. Hon, I haven't done crochet since I was a girl. Her voice tapered off, and she got a little smile on her face. My mother used to make the most gorgeous white lace. She turned to him and asked, Do you have a spare hook? 
Sean looked at me. Same deal? Pip and I shared a glance. The more the merrier, I told him. How many hooks do you have? Pip asked, how many more should we buy when we get to Dunsany? Chapter 15, Dunsany Road System, 2352, April 13. Two days out of Dunsany Roads, the captain passed the word about customs inspection. Because Dunsany was a confederation system and not corporately owned, we had to go through an inspection exercise with the local authorities before we'd be allowed to leave the ship. There was a section in the back of the handbook on customs declarations and the kinds of goods we were prohibited from taking into confederation ports. Pip and I were sitting on the mess deck after lunch and I asked, what do you do if you've got something that's prohibited? It's kind of late at this point, ain't it? He grinned. Do you have anything on the prohibited list? He asked. Can I have some? I laughed. No, it's just that none of this stuff is technically illegal on any of the corporate planets, except maybe the radioactives and nerve agents. And the biologicals, Pip reminded me. Oh yeah, and the biologicals. But what do you do if you have some polka juice and you just want to pass through and sell it in Betris? There's an embargo locker down in main cargo. We can put anything we don't want to be considered in the inspection in that locker before we dock. The customs people put a telltale on the locker so they know if it's opened while we're docked, and anything in there stays there. That's all they care about. Cargo manifests are easy to check and track, and they just lock the prohibited cargo canisters to the ship. We can't leave without them. Will they search the ship? I asked. Pip chuckled. I doubt it. It would take forever. Commercial carriers generally operate on the honor system. They make it easy for us to comply with their rules and regs, and we generally do it. Occasionally you hear some small indie captain trying to smuggle stuff into a confederation port, but it's really not worth it. Why? I asked. Ishmael, he looked at me seriously, have you not noticed that we've just traveled through five other systems where anything you wanted to sell was legal? Why take the risk on smuggling when you can sell it legitimately in the next system over? Oh, I said, yeah. The forms themselves were easy, and I didn't have anything to put in the embargo locker, but I could tell we'd be in for a rather different experience in Dunsany Roads already. Pip went for his afternoon run, and I headed down to deck berthing to see how the crochet work was coming. Sean had taught Sarah and Tabitha how to crochet. Tabitha only really needed a refresher because she'd done simple lace tatting as a girl. Sarah knew the theory, but had never held a hook in her hands before. They'd been at it about a week at this point, and I was shocked to see how much they'd done. Sean, of course, was finishing his afghans, but supervising the shawl work. I found the three of them in Sean's quad, Sean and Tabitha sitting on opposite ends of Sean's bunk, and Sarah on the lower across from them. Sean was finishing up his sixth and last afghan. They looked kind of cozy, settled in there, surrounded by their yarn, talking softly together. Sarah looked as comfortable as I'd ever seen her, and Sean looked pleased to have Tabitha nearby. They hadn't talked about the arrangement in the sauna, so I wondered if they were keeping the production work quiet for some reason. Tabitha kept up the queen bee attitude when she was in the sauna, but I thought she and Sean had an easiness between them there with the crochet hooks flashing that I didn't really see in the gym. How's it going? I asked them. Great, Sarah answered without looking up. This is my third, and I think it's going to be the best one. She held it up for me to admire. Wow, that looks excellent, I told her, and it did. Tabitha added, I'm on my fifth, but I think she's beginning to catch up to me. Younger fingers, she joked. That startled me. Somehow I'd had the idea that Sarah was actually older than Tabitha, but that was probably just because Sarah had seemed so much older than she really was when I first met her. So what do you think of this as a way to pass the time underway, I asked. Oh, this is fun, Sarah said. I can take my hook and a ball of yarn up into my bunk in the evening and get all cozy and think about the money I'm making, she said with a grin. 
I'm dreaming these silly patterns, Tabitha said. I close my eyes, I can see them in my sleep. They all chuckled at that. But I like it, she sighed. Takes me back to when I was a kid. So, how much yarn do you need to hold you over to Betris? Sean looked at me speculatively. Seriously? I nodded. You've burned through twelve skeins in a week. That's almost two a day, and we've got almost fifty days to Betris. We don't have a hundred skeins left anymore. I grinned. Tabitha looked at me out of the corner of her eye and asked how much to sell us the remaining stock. I shrugged. Talked to Pip. How much are you thinking? I'll give you two fifty for the whole hundred skeins. Take the mass into my allotment now. That'll give us the stock we need for our crochet work and you get your mass allotment cleared, along with a nice profit on the deal without having to unload it, she rattled off. Talk to Pip, I said. He's the money man. I just find the deals, I added with a grin. That would take us out of the picture in the shawl deal, but that's okay with me. I only wanted to find some way to leverage the yarn investment. Thanks, Ish. This was really a good idea, Sean said. It's a lot more fun as a group. I grinned and waved. I checked the chrono and realized I still had two stands before dinner, so I pulled out the Spec 2 environmental materials and ran through a practice test. Brill had been drilling me on watch for the last week, so I was getting a much better handle on the material, and a great deal faster than I would have expected. The test went smoothly, and as I finished, the score popped up. 85. Enough to pass, but the real tests were tougher, so I needed to do better. I went back through the test and started digging out the questions I'd missed. With Midwatch coming, I'd have time to go over the material, and I'd see Brill the next afternoon. I began to think that Francis had actually done me a favor. I had the morning watch on the day we were to dock in Dunsany Road, so I asked Brill, Hey boss, how do we handle watch standing while we're here? We pretty much handle it the same way as underway, except the watches are a lot longer and a lot looser, she said. Basically 12s and 24s. With the three of you, it's 12 on and 24 off. We change at 0600 and 1800, same as the rest of the ship. By convention, senior watch stander picks which section he wants and on down the line. You're junior, so you'll get what's left. Different divisions have different requirements, but that's what we do. Wow. I looked around the section area, trying to imagine what it would be like to be there for 12 stands at a stretch. As if reading my mind, Brill said, You don't have to stay in the section all the time. The ASIC gets suspended when we dock and go on station power, so you're not having to deal with that every few ticks. Anytime you want to leave, just slave your tablet and the console will relay any problems to you. You still have to do the VSI once per watch, but that's a lot less than normal. We just need to time it so we do one within six hours of pullout. Well, that doesn't sound too bad, I admitted. It's quiet everywhere on the ship when we're docked, so hanging out here isn't that big a deal. Just don't fall asleep, she grinned. You can pretty much do anything you can do with your tablet in your hand. That rules out sauna and shower, but if you want to go to the mess deck and hang out, or even up to birthing if you like. But I can study, I said. You sure can, she said. And how are you doing on that? Well, I took a practice test the other day and got an 87, so it's climbing. I need to go over the thermal conduction and capacity section again. I keep reversing hot and cold in my head. Remember, we're not talking about temperature there, but energy level. Takes more going up than coming down. The temperature is an artifact, an indirect measurement of the energy level in the fluid. All the transfer on conduction and capacity are based directly on energy, not on the abstraction that temperature provides, she told me. Oh, that's what that meant, I said as one rather confusing passage in the material came back to me. Thanks. Okay, so enough shop talk. What are we going to do ashore, she asked. I don't know, I said. What do watchstanders do ashore? Hmm. We'll have to find something a little more exciting than dinner for this trip to celebrate your new status, won't we? She teased. Suddenly, I remembered Brichot. Clothes, I said. What? Remember Brichot? He gave me a data chip with his initial on it. 
I'm supposed to find his friend here. What was that name? French name. I was scrambling through my head, trying to replay the conversation with Brichot. I'm supposed to have thought about who I am so I can pick out clothes. I could not dredge that name up to save my life. You can't go, Brill said. What? We'll take you. Who'll take me? What are you talking about, I asked. Ishmael Horatio Huang, if you're going to go pick out clothes at a real shop and spend real creds, then you cannot be allowed to go alone, she said. Oh, no. Why not? Is there some confederation thingy, I asked. Um, yeah, that's it. It's a confederation rule. All men have to take at least one woman with them when they shop for clothes, she told me. It's kind of hard on single guys, isn't it, I asked. She considered and shook her head. Not the good ones. The trick for them is figuring out which woman to take. Henri, I exclaimed. Henri, Brillo asked. That's the guy's name. Henri Robe something. Henri Roubaillet, she asked. Yeah, that's it, Henri Roubaillet. He gave you an introduction to Henri Roubaillet. She sounded amazed, incredulous. Yeah, I said. Oh, we are so going shopping, she crowed. Who we, I asked, beginning to get suspicious. Hmm, good question. Who would kill to get into Chez Henri? Diane will kill me if we don't take her. Me, of course. You're not going shopping without me. Beverly, if we can swing the watches. Roan Sham would be good, too, and I owe Jillian a favor for Argonne. Wait, Jillian, I asked? The only Jillian I know is the second mate. Brill nodded. Yeah, that's her. You want me to take the second mate with me clothes shopping? This isn't the mall, stooge. We're talking chaise Henri, she exclaimed with a grin. Okay, I said, what's a chaise Henri, and why is this such a big deal? It's a tailor shop. No, 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 Brill said. Not a tailor shop. This goes way beyond tailor shop. If it's not a tailor shop, what is it? She laughed. You really don't know. How would I know? My mother bought my last set of civvies. What I know from clothes is that cotton wrinkles easily. Oh, we are going to have so much fun with you, she said. And I confess, that might have been the first time she really scared me. Docking at a confederation port didn't seem much different from any of the others. We went to navigation detail just before 1500. Diane had the afternoon watch, so she just stayed on duty. Francis and I had to report just the same. When we got settled, Brill came out of her office and said, Okay, people, time to pick your watches. We should be docked at 1800, so theoretically that would be first watch. If it's earlier than 1800 when we secure nav detail, whoever picks first watch has to fill in the difference. Agreed? I figured not to have a lot of choice, so I just nodded. Diane and Francis agreed, too. It didn't really matter in the long run. Francis? Second, he said. Diane? Third, she said. Okay, ish, Bill said. That leaves you with first. I just nodded. It's okay by me. Take the pad and go curl up on the floor of my office, she told me. You had the morning watch and you'll be awake all night. Try to get a little nap in while we're maneuvering. I didn't think it was likely that I'd sleep, but she closed the door and when I laid down, I nodded right out. It wasn't a sound sleep, but it was probably better than nothing. I'd gotten a good night's sleep the night before, so I wasn't terribly worried. Brill opened the door finally and said, Ish, rise and shine. I clambered up off the floor and dragged the pad out with me and threw it into the locker. The chrono said, 1745. We're here? I asked, trying to get my brain re-engaged. Yep, just secured from nav detail. I yawned and my brain popped a little, enough for me to relieve Diane and slave my tablet to the console. I looked around then, and Francis was already gone. Diane and Brill were looking at me in a way that I found a bit disconcerting. Tomorrow, Brill said, when you get off watch, grab some sleep. We'll get you up at 1300 to take you ashore. Diane had a smile that I could only classify as predatory.
Take me where ashore? I asked warily. Well, to fulfill your promise to Brachot, of course, to visit Henri Roubaillet. We'll want to do it early in our stay, so that if he needs to do any tailoring, there'll be time before we have to leave. Now wait, I said, this is all well and good, and I appreciate you guys helping me stay out of trouble with the Confederation authorities by shopping with me, but this guy sounds expensive. Can I afford him? Diane answered, it doesn't cost anything to shop. If he doesn't have anything you can afford, then you just don't buy it. Okay, I agree. That makes a certain amount of sense. The whole business was making me uneasy. Brill suggested, Ish, why don't you go get something to eat? Diane and I will hold down the fort here until you get back. Thanks. I need coffee in the worst way. As I headed for the hatch, Diane asked Brill about the Confederation authorities, but I was too groggy to pay attention. Naps do that to me sometimes. I was afraid it might be a long night after all. When I got back to Environmental, I took a fresh mug of coffee with me. Diane had gone, but Brill was sitting at the console. You didn't have to wait, I told her, indicating my tablet. No problem, Ish. I'm going to go grab supper in a tick. I just wanted to make sure you were okay. Yeah, I said. The food helped perk me up, and I can always wander around the ship. How are you doing on the Spec 2 material? Very good. I'm still not confident that I could pass the real exam, but I'm getting mid to high 80s in the practice. That's probably good enough, but I want to go over that fluid dynamics section a couple more times. She stood then and shook her legs out one at a time. You'll have plenty of time tonight, she said ruefully. I chuckled. So, we're going to go see Henri tomorrow afternoon? Who's going? You, me, Diane, and Bev, she told me. I was relieved that they hadn't bothered Miss Averill, the second maid. Jillian has the duty tomorrow or she'd have come, Brill continued. That's too bad because I think she'd have had a great time. Secretly, I was not sure how much fun I was going to have, but I was grateful to the watch-standing gods for delivering me from officers, at least. How are you doing with Francis, she asked. I shrugged. It's okay, as far as I know. He's been friendly enough. I don't think there's any residual animosity for us tricking him or anything. I was thinking more along the lines of how you were relating to him, she continued. He did play a nasty little trick on you, and those cracks about you and Diane were pretty low. Went through the sales, boss. The tablet thing was stupidity on my part. I can't imagine why I never noticed. Ultimately, he probably did me a favor because I doubt that I'd be getting ready for the Spec 2 exam if I hadn't spent a month banging my head against Spec 1. That's true enough, she said, but you'd be ready for Spec 3. Maybe yes, maybe no, I told her. In the end, it's irrelevant. As for the Diane thing, he was right about that. I am too easy to tease about women. Maybe having my face rubbed in it so badly helped me too. She smiled sympathetically. Well, Diane thinks the world of you, Ish. We all do. Ah, oh, thanks, I said. Growing up, I didn't have Sibs and extended family. I always wondered what it was like. I think I'm beginning to get a feel for it now. <laughs> Laughing, she nodded. Yeah, that's true. Well, I just wanted to touch base with you before heading out for supper. I'll be aboard all night, so if you get in a bind, you can't stay awake or something, bit me, okay? I'll be okay, I told her confidently. The nap helped, and the coffee. I held up my mug, smiling. There's plenty of coffee. Okay, I'll stop being a mother hen, she grinned at me. Carry on, Mr. Huang, she said. But she was laughing as she headed for the hatch. I liked hearing her laugh. I settled into the chair and ran a little checklist of things I needed to do before morning. Diane had changed out the waterline filters on the number three scrubber pumps earlier in the day, and there wasn't anything else for scheduled maintenance until we had to swap algae matrix in two days. No help there. I only needed to do one VSI, and I thought I'd save that for 0300, give me something to do in the back end of the watch. Sitting there at 1830, 12 stands looked like a long, long time. Nothing to be done about it, though, so I put my feet up on the console, made sure my coffee was in easy reach, and settled into my studies. 
I had a long time to sit, nothing else to do, and nobody was likely to interrupt me. I pulled up the section on liquid thermodynamics and started from the beginning. Thanks for listening to Episode 8 of Half Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper. Music is from the Banks of Newfoundland, an Irish jig recorded in September of 1928 by Peter James Conlon and available on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 2.5 license. For website and more information on the Golden Age, visit www.durandus.com/golden. Music